we have been in a series, I believe today we're in week seven, and it has been titled uh, The Kingdom Manifesto, and I believe that if you are a believer today, as Jesus was sharing with many, many people on that particular day, the Sermon on the Mountain, we should be excited about having the heart of God in terms of how we're to respond as followers and believers in the kingdom of God. And so we're at the point to where Jesus is teaching on the tensions between good deeds and motives. All of us, we all like to do good deeds, but sometimes if we're not doing them in the pure, purest of hearts, the things that we are hoping that are going to come out of those good deeds sometimes may not end up being what we thought they were going to be. And I don't know about you, I don't like to do things and get to the end, and I was thinking the outcome was going to be this, and it turns out to be something else. Uh, three weeks ago, we started using two scriptures as a foundation to kind of balance the tensions, if you will, or to bring some clarity to us as believers in terms of tensions between our good deeds and our motives. The first of those two scriptures is Matthew 5 and 16. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we want to do. When we do a good deed, when we do a good work, that should be the heart behind it. But then God takes us a little bit deeper by communicating a potential trap. That's a potential trap out there as believers that we need to be aware of. And that is found in the second scripture that's going to bring about that tension that I was mentioning earlier. Matthew 6 and 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, do we really know when our motives appear? We learned about three weeks ago that really and truly, we don't know that. The only true way to find out if our motives appear, if we go to the Lord and ask them, Lord, please search me. Please search my heart. I remember over in the Old Testament, I believe it was David, he was telling, the Holy, telling God to, to search his heart. How many of you know that even on our best day, our heart gets a little bit tainted? And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to search us. The Scripture says the Holy Spirit will, will test and search even the depths of your soul. That's the only way that we can know and truly know that our motives are pure. Last week, I know in Wiggins, Pastor Casey talked about uh, the heart of prayer. And you would think, man, of all the things that we can do in worshiping God, you would think we can be able to pray and not have a tainted prayer, right? Come on, we've been, we grew up as infants praying, you know, with our parents. But, you know, even in our state as, as human today, man, even our prayers can be tainted. Today, we're going to talk about having a heart of devotion, a heart of devotion, kind of to set the stage and the tone for where I want you to be and for I want, where I want you to kind of imagine yourself today as believers is to know this simple fact that every act of your life should be laced with the desire of bringing glory to God and not self. That should be the whole thing right there in terms of the entire existence of the believer to bring glory unto God. We'll call this devotion for today's purposes. I think as believers, we know this, but we often find ourselves 
not living up to this standard. Now, devotion. Devotion is not a new concept. We only have to look back into the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. What did God really want from Adam and Eve? He wanted true worship. He wanted devotion. He wanted to be their God forever. But we know that they sinned and man fell. But then let's take it a little bit farther. The theme of devotion is all throughout the Bible. We look at the children of Israel. Some thousands of years later, when God was given to Moses and the priests, the laws, the statutes, and the covenants, he was communicating them to them, even unto them, that, 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 that the priest, for example, he says, I don't even want you, like I came up here on this stage, he said, even when you come up on this stage, he said, I want you to have this linen undergarment on. And the reason why God was so, so particular about that, he didn't even want the flesh on their legs to show. God was not interested in any form of fleshly worship. And he is calling us to that same level of purity today. He wanted nothing to do with flesh. So you see, the devotion theory is even there with the children of Israel. Now let's go ahead on further. What are we talking about today? The Sermon on the Mountain. We're talking about devotion again. So we got Adam and Eve. We got the children of Israel. We got Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talking about true worship, talking about devotion and loyalty. And then here we are today, little old bitty me. Instead of the children of Israel, we got the children of Northwood. And he is still sharing the idea and the concept of devotion. I think we can clearly assume right off the bat that God is serious about devotion. He is serious about his worship. He is serious about it being undefiled. We can no longer give unpure worship and, 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 and worship that is not devoted to God and expect for him to receive it and for him to be able to bless us with it. No longer is he expecting that. But we got to get this in our spirit. I believe this is why all throughout the entire scriptures, God is talking about devotion. Today, Jesus is going to use two things in the scriptures that we'll be referencing, fasting and money, to help teach us more about devotion. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to the sixth chapter of Matthew. And uh, before we get to that first verse, before we get to that first verse, we want to kind of define fasting a little bit. There's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of concepts in terms of fasting. What does it really mean? I can tell you one thing that it is not. All of you that are on IF, intermittent fasting, that is not it. That is not it. That is fleshly worship right there. All right? That's not it. But fasting is a spiritual act of devotion to God. It was a spiritual act of devotion to God and to God only. It's about abstaining from food and devoting time to draw closer only to God. In a broader sense, it is a denial of fleshly desires so that we can be more prepared to serve the will of God. I'm reminded of the scripture when Jesus was in the garden and he was basically saying, Lord, not my will, but let what? Let your will be done. He was perfectly aligned with the heart of God. He was perfectly aligned with the heart of God. But fasting is putting away of those things that hinders and distracts us. And y'all know that we live in a time today where there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of distractions. Fasting is also a putting away of those things that causes us to lean more toward compromise instead of conviction. 
we'll compromise more instead of being convicted. That's when we have fallen away from God. Andrew Murray states it like this as he's defining and giving us a clearer picture of what fasting is. He says, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. I think Mr. Murray nailed it. I think he nailed it, letting go of all that is seen. Sometimes things that are seen impacts our faith walk. Scriptures lets us know that we walk by faith and not by sight. When we get so consumed with the things of the world, that's when the things of God become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer to the believer. We want to walk by faith and not by sight. So now let's jump into the meat of the scriptures that we're going to be referencing today as we learn more about God's heart as it relates to us being devoted to him. Matthew 6 and 16 basically goes and states like this. And when you fast, we kind of got a clear understanding of what fasting is. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they just figure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the worst names that somebody can call me as a believer is a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, that's just things right there to your very core. Hypocrite. But the scripture was letting us know, even here when it's talking about fasting, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They basically turned something that was strengthening and powerful, something that was supposed to be drawing them closer to God. They've negated it because they were doing it unto men, not unto God. It started off as powerful, but it was weakened over time. And the enemy loved this. The enemy loves this because when we begin to exalt ourselves over the righteousness of God, he knows that his is so much easier for him to enter into our spirit. He knows that it's so much easier for him to cause us to follow the fleshly desires of the world rather than to follow after the things of God. But we, we want to do it the right way because we know this. When we fast, we gain strength over the appetites of sinful flesh. We know that in our hearts. But we also have to know that we have to do it as unto the Lord. I believe that this is why the enemy fights fasting so hard, because he knows that he can disrupt our devotion to God. He knows that one of the quickest ways to gain access and just go in there and mess up a good thing is when we are weak. But God has called us to be strong. We are better than this. And Galatians 5 and 24 says it like this. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Do you belong to Jesus Christ today? That's the question we have to continue to ask ourselves. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Your identity in Christ is going to be the backbone of everything you do in your relationship with him. If you don't know who you are in Christ, anything that the enemy will throw at you, you are liable to stumble, stumble over it. We must recognize at all times who we belong to. Because when we forget that one key component, 
will always struggle to crucify the flesh and we'll always have struggles trying to devote ourselves unto God. Our devotion for him will truly fade. That word crucified in that scripture, the Hebrew meaning of it means to, to drive a stake down, to destroy its power utterly. As believers, we have to do that on a daily basis, as Pastor Casey has already said. We have to drive that stake in the ground every day. Because as soon as we leave the gate open, y'all know the attack of the enemy is on the way. In Christ, we are no longer a slave to sin. And when we understand that we're no longer a slave to sin, this allows Jesus to lead us to a life of devotion to God and over our fleshly desires. The next scripture, Matthew 6 and 17 through 18, he says, but when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face. That sounds like my mama right there. <laughs> wash your face. <laughs> Woo! That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Jesus speaks of heavenly rewards throughout Scripture. If we go back just over the last couple of weeks, we'll see that he referenced a reward as it relates to our persecution. In Matthew 5 and 12, he referenced it. It referenced to generosity. In Matthew 6 and 4, he mentioned it last week, Pastor Casey, as we were talking about prayer and when we do it the right way, not for the show of men. He says that he will reward us. And here he is again today. Talking about even in our fasting, there's a reward there. There's a reward there. Now, when we look at the rewards, when we see that word, yes, we are probably getting excited on the inside. We're talking about the reward of heaven. And so many times we talk about and think about the future reward. The future reward that when we're standing before Christ and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I'm here to tell you today that I believe as we're obeying God, as we're devoting ourselves unto him, that he will reward us today. There are some rewards, some heavenly rewards available for us even now. Now, when we look at this scripture and we're talking about rewards, Pastor Joy, when we left the meeting the other day, I was thinking so much about the reward coming down, the reward coming down. And then as I began to meditate on this scripture over this past week, God began to show me that, hey, it's not, that's not the most important part. The blessing is not the most important part. We kind of sing some of that today. The most important part is that we do the will of the Father. That's the most important part. If we look at a relationship between a natural father and a son, I'll tell you one of the most assuring and most affirming things that a father can ever do is to let that son know that he approves of the thing that he has done. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When we devote ourselves to him and when we do the things not for men but as unto him, the scripture says, our father sees. He sees those things. And when he sees those things, he's not just looking at it and quickly walking by. He gets that thing. He touches it. He looks at it. He's making sure that it passes the standard of pure motives. He looks and makes sure that it's 100% complete, uh, devoted to him. And when it's devoted to him like that, then he can use it for the ultimate goal, and that's to win the loss unto him. We should want to be one of the biggest reflectors 
We should want to be one of the biggest reflectors of all time in terms of what God has for us in, the term, uh, in terms of our love, in terms of our peace, in terms of our kindness, in terms of our gentleness, in terms of our faithness, faithfulness. We want God to be able to, to reflect that on the inside of us so that when we send it out and men and women see our good deeds, guess what? They're going to be drawn to the Father. That's the heart of why we do what we do. That's the greatest reward for the believer. For the believer. Material things are great. Material things are great. But if I'm not pleasing the Father, what do I gain? What do I gain? That's a scripture that I'm reminded of, and this was the scripture that drew me actually to Christ. It says, what does it profit a man to gain this whole world and to lose his soul? Now, that scripture right there is talking to the believer. That scripture is talking to, I'm sorry, it's talking to the sinner. It was a warning to me, Arnie, you better get your act together. You're doing very well in this world, but you're on your way to hell. That's what that scripture spoke to me. Now, let's twist it a little bit and show you what this scripture means to the believer. We sang a song very similar to what this is saying. What does it profit you as the believer to gain the whole world, even the grace and the blessings of God, and these acts not bring glory unto his name? I'll tell you what, I'd rather, I'd rather forfeit all of that than to know that my relationship is so tight with God that he's going to be able to use my good deeds to help bring others into the fold. The greatest reward for me is for, it's for every step that I make and for every breath that I take to bring honor and glory to God. The greatest reward is when my entire life reeks of making disciples of all nations so that none are lost. That's the heart of the devoted son. That's the heart of the devoted daughter. The greatest reward is when the fruit of the Spirit is so evident that when people walk up asking, what must I do to be saved? Would that not be cool? You just walked around doing your thing, serving God, pleasing him, pure motives, the right heart, and somebody just walk up to you and says, I something different about you. What must I do to be saved? I'll tell you what, that's a reflection of God in your life. And that's what God wants us when he talks about having a heart completely devoted unto him. As it relates to God's reward, we can truly re rest in knowing this one thing. Heavenly rewards follow our obedience to, to God. Let me have that water, baby. Heavenly rewards follow our obedience to God. This is, Casey, I pulled up the same one that you did last week. When you told Casey, what, what, what did Carrie, what did you call her? We did the same thing. I'm getting more like Casey. I don't know. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> I don't know. Pastor Donald have to do the, do the little foot thing and get going there. <laughs> Heavenly rewards follow our obedience to God. Heavenly rewards follow our obedience to God. Today he's calling us to devotion with sincere motives. So let us obey God so that we can receive that heavenly reward. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven before he says, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. We can get that right now. Another one of those areas of desire that might override our devotion that Jesus is addressing is around our treasures. 
around our treasures, or another way by saying it is around our money. Matthew 6 and 19 to, 20, to 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where a moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasures. Let's look at that a little bit. Treasures can be identified as anything in your life that you have exalted higher than God. Anything in your life that you have exalted higher than the word of God. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is what do we desire? We have to ask this question because our desire determines our direction and focus which impacts our devotion to God. What are we desiring today? What are we exalting higher than God himself? For many, as the scripture is referring to here, the desire is money and wealth. I believe that Jesus is specifically referring back to the culture of the Egyptians. Because y'all remember when the pharaohs were buried? What was one of the things that they did, kind of like the highlight of their burial ceremony? They put a lot of money, all of their wealth, all of their gold. They put it in the tomb with them. God says that we're not to be like that. That's the way of the hypocrite. He's telling us that we're to store our treasures in heaven. We're to store our treasures in heaven. He's making it very clear that money, if not handled right, can be a big distraction. Money seems to be rooted in the desire for self-security and self-control. It screams self, self, self-sufficient. And I believe God is here to say today, no, not self. What about me? Me, me. What about my righteousness? What about my plan that I have for your life? What about all the things that I've already done in preparation for your arrival? But money and wealth a lot of times will attack our heart and cause us to run away from the things of God rather than to depend and to trust on him. Some of you may be in the room today and you'll be like thinking, hey, I know he's not talking to me. I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> but it's not about the amount of money. It's actually about the heart. There was a study done in 1992, and I'm sure there have been other studies done since then. But individuals making $25,000 or less, they said, what would it take for you to feel that you have made it to and accomplished the American dream? They said, you know, $54,000. That'll get me there. $54,000. Those that made $100,000, you know what they said? $192,000 will get me there. The American dream. We have to ask ourselves, what is God's dream? Are we going to forfeit God's dream for the American dream? I believe that if God is telling you to store up treasures in heaven, that he is more than willing to give you the payday that you have never, ever seen before. In fact, he has already given the payday when he poured out the blood of his son Jesus on that cross that day. That's the biggest payday that we can ever, ever want. That's the greatest reward right there. We have already received the reward. We just got to get our hearts lined up with what God intended for us in the whole first place. We just got to align with what he has called us to be and to do. 
All of this boils down to a heart matter. When we see ourselves as owners instead of stewards of our earthly resources, those, that, that, that big fat checking account that we have, or small one, God says, let me guide. Let me instruct. Let me guide. We are to be stewards. Now, he's not telling us to, to not own what he has blessed us with, but he says, hey, don't get so possessive with it. Don't close your hands so tight that I can't reward you by doing good things to other people. Don't lose sight of the main thing. I bless you with this so that you can be a good steward. We're stewarding what? Not just what, but why. We're stewarding these well so that God can use them. Yes, you will get some benefit, but God wants to use some of that money too. Don't store up treasures for yourself. Matthew 6 and 22 through 23 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Here it is. Jesus is telling us one more time, just in a different way, the impact that money can have on our lives. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And that's what we want to be. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... The light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? How great is the darkness? Now, the eye in these two scriptures speaks to the heart. It's referring to the heart. It's talking about what is the focus of your heart. Y'all remember the scripture says that out of the heart flows all the issues of life. That's why the scripture tells us we have to guard our heart. But in here is talking about the good eye. We're still talking about wealth. We're still talking about money, so don't lose sight of that. But he talks about the good eye. The good eye has clear vision. The good eye is focused on those things that are eternal, not on just the day-to-day -day stuff. We're talking about clear vision. We're talking about the good eye is being one that has a generous attitude. When God says give, they'll give. And we're not wondering what they're going to do with the money. We're not wondering what they're going to do with the tithe and the offering. That ain't my responsibility. My heart should be to give. If somebody screws up the money, that's on them. That ain't on me. I, I can't be worrying about that. I gave it as unto the Lord. In fact, the scripture lets us know that the offering belongs to the Lord anyway. It ain't your money. <laughs> We're to have a generous attitude. The good eye talks about us trusting God and not in and of ourselves. It's also making a reference or, or, or shouting of someone being single-minded and a heart directed toward God, a heart that is truly set on those things that are eternal. Now, it talks also about the bad eye. He talks about the bad eye. The bad eye has blurred vision. If I take these glasses off, my vision is going to be blurred. And ain't going to tell him what's going to come off this note page if I look down to try to look up my next note. So I best put my good eyes back on so I can make sure <laughs> that y'all are getting it right. Pastor Casey, I don't want to get it twisted. But that's what happened when we have a bad eye. That's, what, that's exactly what happened when we bad eye. We, we twist the things of God. We pervert the things of God. What he meant for good, just as in fasting, we'll turn it into a big show. That's what happens when we have blurred vision. We'll become stingy. It's an improper perspective of our relationship and our focus to God. It also speaks of being double-minded. 
with a focus toward the world. We're talking about materialism. We're talking about greed. We're talking about covetous. Guys, you know what? This could also be the blessings of God. We can get so caught up in God's blessings, so caught up in God's blessing that when he don't bless us, what do we do? We start pouting. We start crying. Lord, where are you? He's like, I'm right here. Pastor Casey, you nailed it. Sometimes we go through stuff. He's just trying to test the genuineness of your faith. Are you going to stand with me in the difficult times? He might want to know the genuineness of your faith today. How about that? Blurry eyes. Blurry eyes. How about that? We want to be focused on the here and now way too often. And God is trying to get our attention back on him. He wants our full devotion. The scripture goes on to talk about your whole body will be full of darkness. This is a, it's synonymous with deception. We started off earlier by saying sometimes we can think we're doing the right thing. And if our motives aren't pure, then it's not going to be one that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And we don't want to live a deceived life as well. That's why we have to take all of our good deeds, all the things that we do, and say, Lord, am I honoring you? Lord, is, is this what your hearts desire? We, 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 our, our heart should be to be, be similar to this. Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Wherever you want to go, that's where I want to go. Whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. We don't want to live a life of being deceived. Deception distorts truth and leaves us outside of God. It leaves us outside of God. I'm reminded of the children of Israel. When they would screw up or, and, and mess up, they had to go outside the camp. <laughs> and then before they could come back into the camp, they had to be cleansed. They had to get their focus back right on God. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I don't know if the scripture can get it any plainer than that. We can't serve God and money. Sometimes, you know what? We think, hey, I've been saved a long time. I can do this. We'll tell ourselves, I know how it works. I'll tell you this. If you're trying to work God for his blessing, you're barking up the wrong tree. If you're trying to test him, you done got God figured out. I'll tell you what, you, you done got too big for your britches. There's a humbling coming to you. I believe God's going to, we're going to be running around here telling you to wash your face. You're going to be crying. God has a way of humbling his people. Go back and read the children of Israel. Read that story. He humbled them every single time. They tried to exhort themselves higher than him, and he will do the same thing to us today. He has called us to a pure heart of devotion, and I'll tell you, y'all have heard me how I started off. He is 100% serious about his devotion. We can no longer give him our corrupted worship and think it's going to be pleasing. We cannot bring the second of our best fruit unto him, our lambs with the broken legs, and think it's going to be pleasing unto him. After all he has done for us. He gave his son Jesus who died on the cross. He poured it all out, guys. He laid it all on the line. And on top of that, he went down into this earth into a place that we'll call the pit of hell. And he defeated the enemy. He did that for you. 
And I don't think it was no rush job. Because he said while he was down there, he preached the gospel to the captives. And he's preaching that gospel to you today. And the power of the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead. You're talking about a man that was devoted. We got a perfect example right there in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we, we, we owe it to him. We shouldn't have to beg for devotion. He was the one that saved my life. He was the one that set you free. We owe it to him to give him our full devotion. Our best worship belongs to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our great high priest. We just sang the song, our great high priest. He's worthy of all our praise. Today, we must choose who we will serve. Today, God is serious about devotion. He is serious. Today, our heart should be to, to the point of where nothing else matters. Even if they slay me. If I'm connected to the vine, if I'm connected to him, nothing else matters. Today, as believers, you may find yourself, as I do, here with a devotion unto other things more so than to God. There's no better time than right now to repent. No better time than right now. And some of us in the room may have gone too far and just can't shake this thing. We try to run after the heart of God, but every time we take a step, we just, we hear that weight from yesterday pulling us back. It may be time for a fast, for you to reconnect with your first love, for you to reconnect with the elementary things of the Scripture, for you to reconnect with your identity. And if that's you today, it's a perfect time to repent and to maybe even consider starting that fast. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, He wants your devotion even more so today. This was demonstrated again some 2,000 years ago when He laid it all on the line. Today, He's drawing closer to you. And this is how he draws. He draws through services like this. And I believe that today that it's not by coincidence that you're hearing a message communicating to you that we need to refocus and dedicate our and re redevote our lives to God. I believe that you that are watching at home, I believe, and if you don't have a relationship, he's asking you to devote your life to him. Will you trust him today? If you don't have a relationship with him. I believe that Jesus even know that, knew that this was going to be a difficult decision for you. Hebrews 3 and 15 says this. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear my voice. I believe we've heard the voice of God today as it relates to devotion. Don't miss this opportunity. Whatever you're so devoted to that's making this a difficult decision for you,
I can assure you that it is not worth it. It is not worth it. Nothing else matters. I don't know what's got you tied up. It's not too big for God to settle right now. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, all of those that don't have a relationship with God. And if you're praying this and repeating after me and praying this and meaning it from your heart, the Scripture says you will be saved. And then we can begin that journey of how do I become more devoted? How do I demonstrate that in everything that I do? Let's pray. If you don't have a relationship with God, say something like this. Say, Dear Lord, I repent of my sins. I'm going to take you at your word that if I confess you as Lord and believe that you raised your son Jesus from the dead, and that now he sits at the right hand of the Father, then I shall be saved. Dear Lord, upon my belief, I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior. Teach me how to love you. Teach me how to be devoted to you. Get me to the point to where nothing else matters but my relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.